we are here and i think we forgot a cold open it's snowing where i live Mm. yeah that's good enough okay This is the Christian Artist, honoring Christ through creativity. My name is Caleb. My name is Connor. My name is Carly. We're here. We're back with another episode of the Christian Artist. This is episode 124. We are at 124, guys. <laughs> How many of those have you been around for, Carly? When did you come around? What was it? I think it was episode 89. 89? Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that was the that was the poetry one, right? Yeah. Um. And then there's like a like one or two in between that, and then you started doing full time. Yeah. So you've been you've been here for about a good forty episodes or so. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I mean, in the lifetime of the Christian artist, that's getting up on a fourth of it. I think, right? If it's 124, yeah, it's about a fourth a fourth of the life of the podcast. You have been uh, a regular co-host, which is really cool. Um. I don't imagine we'll be stopping this podcast anytime soon, so <laughs> eventually that will uh, become a very different ratio, uh, which I'm excited mm, about. Actually, on April Fool's Day, I think we're going to cancel again. Mm. Oh, yeah. I remember when we did that. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't it? We, we did that, and Carly got really mad at us. Wasn't that it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah. I knew it was fake when I before I watched the thing because I wasn't oh, able to be on the episode. So. Sure. Oh, I think yeah. that was the episode right after I, the poetry. I was very, episode. I was very thankful that I knew it was fake before I heard it because I would yeah. have been more devastated. If mm-hmm. I yes, didn't. Yes, remember you giving us some flack for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who we got with that. Though. I know we got someone with it. There was someone who was like, "What? You're canceling <laughs> the episode, the podcast?" One of the very other few people who listen to this this podcast. So you'd think we'd be able to know, but. Anyway, what are we talking about today, guys, here on Ye Old Podcast? Well, last week we talked about epistemology, it's and now true. we're talking about ecclesiology. Yeah, another one of those E words. So we mm-hmm. are continuing our series, our uh, the Christian and the ologies series, and we're talking about another ology today, another study of... So last week we talked about epistemology, the study of knowledge, and today we're studying... What? What does ecclesiology mean? Mm, working definition. Hold up a second. <laughs> I mean, I know. I just, I, I can. Yeah. <laughs> I ask these rhetorical, these questions. I guess they're not rhetorical. The study of churches, especially church building and decoration. Mm-hmm. Theology as applied <laughs> to the nature and structure of the Christian church. The second one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the second one of those. We're not going to talk about church decoration today. No. Because that Unless there's a theology of that. I don't. I mean, okay, there is a little bit. We t- we could talk about um. We could talk about uh second, third command. Wait, is it first or second commandment? Second commandment. Vi- yeah, second commandment violations. Yes, we can do that. We could talk about that, but we won't. Not 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 for today's episode. Because uh, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about church decoration. We're talking about. What is a church in a more metaphysical sense, in the actual sense of the church as a body of believers? And what does that what does that look like? What does it look like to be a healthy biblical church? What does proper ecclesiology look like? And so, gotta gotta have a a warning here right up front. All three of us have heavy 
Reformed Baptist persuasion <laughs> uh, leaning. So we're coming at that from this perspective. Um, so, no, hold up, hold up. Not a single one of us has a Reformed Baptist leaning because we want to. Yeah. That is a thing, or because that's our bias, or because we've been yeah. grown up that way. Actually, all three of us, actually, Carly, now. I is definitely a part of, didn't grow up this way. <laughs> yeah. Carly, now you're a part of, I don't think it's called a Reformed Baptist Church. No, it's not a nominational, but it, it definitely, in the doctrine and conduction of services, feels more Reformed. Right. So no, none of us have grown up in any type of Reformed Baptist setting whatsoever. This has all been because of scriptures leaning, scriptures, mm-hmm. declarations, and and exhortations that we have come to this theological basis. Yeah. So what I, when I say we have Reformed Baptist leanings, I'm saying that's that's what we have through scripture, scriptural study, come to believe is the proper form of ecclesiology. Um, right. But I say that just so you you don't like someone who just stumbles upon this episode isn't just like what why are you not like talking about like where you're coming from here or you're just saying this is a good ecclesiology without ever like referencing why we think it's good ecclesiology and or, or rather like what specific ecclesiology in terms of just like a definition we would hold to and we mm-hmm. would hold to a Reformed Baptist ecclesiology. Um, yeah. Anyway. So. With us being so upfront about that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let's start with confessions. Yeah, that's a good place to start, actually. And I don't think that's really on this list. So that is a good, uh, very good place to start. So what are confessions, Connor? What do, what do you bring that up for? I have no idea. It's just a word <laughs> that I think we should use. Oh, okay. So Carly, what are confessions? Um, in most senses, it's a, a way for the church to recognize like these are the things that we believe the Bible teaches and it's an easy way to look, to look at a confession and say, as one body, this is what we confess is biblical. And this is what we follow as not in substitution of the Bible or in a higher rank of the Bible, but as a way of more clearly defining things that the Bible teaches. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's a summary of a church. Yeah, basically. Or the beliefs of a church. Uh, yeah. That should hopefully be a summary of the church because mm-hmm. of the practice of doxology. So a practicing of what they teach should, so who they are, what they do should reflect their theology or their confession. Mm-hmm. Um. I, yeah, I should what be a moderator and, and continue moderating <laughs> the podcast, but uh, I honestly spaced out there for a second, and so I don't know okay. what just happened. So, Okay. <laughs> That's how good uh, a moderator so, I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure. Like, okay. <laughs> uh, so confessions. Like, what what was just said about confessions? Like, because I, I, I missed it. Well, they're a summary. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's a summary of what we just said. Got it. I will definitely cut this out for the audio <laughs> version. Perfect. Yep. So they're a summary of Christian belief and practice. Mm-hmm. So why are confessions important? Why shouldn't it just be, we believe the Bible? Why do we need confessions? Uh. <laughs> 
Sorry. Who? Uh, Who? I definitely just uh, messed up the recording. Give me a sec here. Oh, fun. <laughs> Continue without me. Okay. Carly, why are confessions important? <laughs> um. This is going so well so far. I just, yeah. I just want to back up and start all over again. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sorry. Confessions are important um, because it's taking a stance on something. Rather than, so what we could do, and this is what churches say to do, is, oh, well, we believe the Bible, Right. That's like saying, oh, God is loving. Everybody agrees that God is loving, but how is God loving? Define God's love. How does God show his love? What does he do because he is loving? Mm-hmm. You know, all of those different things. If you just have the, uh, the statement, well, we follow the Bible. Well, prove it by telling us what the Bible says. That's what yeah. a confession is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a, a systematic explanation of various scriptures um, of like what they teach and what we can glean from them. Basically just to be like, yeah, this is we believe this. Here's why. Here's the scripture. Here's an explanation um, to to summarize the Christian faith and to um, give us a good starting point. So you can look at a church and be like, all right, they believe this, this, this and this. And so uh, you can instantly tell, all right, I disagree with them maybe on this, or I agree with them on this point. Mm-hmm. And you can very easily know, like, what churches believe, where they stand, why <laughs> they believe what they believe. And then you can have intelligent conversations from there rather than going to a church and be like, I don't know what they think about anything, and then just have to figure it out. And sometimes church, I mean, honestly, most of the time, churches without a confession don't actually know what they believe. Like if you ask them, do you ask them to drill down uh, a doctrine for anything? They'll be like, well, I mean, I personally believe this. Maybe a pastor Mm -hmm. says, but like, I don't think our church believes this as a whole, but that's not how churches are supposed to function. And why, Mm -hmm. why is that? Why is that the case? I mean, because a pastor is supposed to lead the flock and teach them about the word, not just what? say, this is what I believe about the word, but my congregation might feel differently. No, they're supposed to actually like exegete the word and instruct the congregation on what the Bible says to believe. It's by saying, I believe this when my congregation doesn't. The next question I would ask them is, do you teach your congregation? What do you teach your congregation? Do you not teach your congregation what you know? I don't understand. (laughs) Why don't they know this? Yeah. Right. If you believe this is true, why aren't you teaching your your flock this? Yeah. And if you are and they still just don't agree with you, why are you their pastor? (laughs) (laughs) That's not why did they choose you? And this is another conversation. I think I mean we've had a conversation like this before. But this is something that we believe about Christian unity, right? Like there are people who believe that Christian unity is found when you don't drill down into specifics about truth and you kind of just accept any general Christian belief and be like, all right, we can be unified because we all believe in the essential stuff. But when we're talking about the local body, how are a very diverse set of people in terms of belief able to have any sort of unity when 
I mean, we're going to go through all of the different marks of a biblical church, uh, the things a church should be doing. It's impossible to be unified in, in the practice of any of these things unless the church fundamentally agrees on various theological positions. Because those theological positions, such as eschatology, soteriology, the other ologies that we're going to talk about, um, are vital to how you practice your Christianity, what what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Your orthodoxy immediately uh, translates into orthopraxy, um, and your heterodoxy immediately uh, goes into or, uh, heteropraxy, um, which means if you have good theology, you'll have good uh, practice. If you have bad theology, you will have bad mm-hmm. practice. Um, and it will be impossible to unify the local body to do anything for the kingdom if you don't agree on how it should be done. And theology informs yeah. all of those things. Right. So in order to be a functioning unit for the kingdom of God, yeah. you have to have all your Theological ducks, ducks in, a in a row. row. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if somebody would try to debate that, here's what I would ask them. Does that work in a marriage to not know that you guys both agree on things and just go into it? Yeah, sometimes it does. Sometimes when you don't have guidelines inside a marriage or a dating relationship, sometimes things work out okay. Blessedly, like like God has <laughs> blessed your relationship and it has worked even though you totally didn't plan, right? This was totally not your intention to do well. But, uh, you know, you didn't agree on the same things and yet, you know, it still works out and that's great. But if you're trying to be and if you're trying to intentionally succeed, you set up guidelines. Hey, we're not going to do this. We're going to do that. Uh, You know, we're going to do this and not do that. You know, blah, 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 blah. And if if a couple doesn't agree on these things, normally there's not going to be unity within that marriage. Mm -hmm. So it's the same with the church. Sometimes churches do great, even though they don't set up, um, you know, a, a confession or, or are unified in the truth and they have disagreements and, and, oh, they do great and they're fine. And they still, you know, preach the gospel and, you know, we can thank God for that. But if you're trying to be intentional about it, if you're trying to be careful, if you're trying not to screw everything up, because this is serious, this is the church, Right. This is, this is your one life at stake to worship and glorify God. Do it right. And you should value truth more than people. Because truth. You should value God more than people. Right. That's well, why you value truth. Well, because truth. truth lets you, helps you to love both God and people better. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Uh, and that's what theology does as, as well. Jeff Durbin is fond of saying bad theology hurts people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Yep. So confessions, I think a biblical ecclesiology will include a confession, will include a robust confession of faith. And you don't have to make this up wholesale. There are plenty of them out there that are pretty great. We recommend the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Yes. Those noises means he's getting the the book (laughs) for all you audio listeners. You can get this online for uh, just $4 uh, at um, founders.org. It's not sponsored. Uh, But this is a 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith in Modern English. 
a fantastic test text that uh, goes through all of the uh, standard uh, doctrines for a reformed Baptist um, persuasion. Yeah, I haven't gotten to that one yet. I'm going through all the ones that are in the back of my new Bible, mm-hmm. and that one's the last one because it's the most recent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is fantastic. It's really good. Uh, me and Angel Rodriguez have read it, and uh, like I got it just you know because I, I wanted to read it, and um, Angel, uh, my friend Angel, also wanted to read it, and so we, I read it, and then I gave it to him, and he read it, and he's like, and we're like, yeah, I guess we're both performing Baptists now. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right, so our our good friend Kevin Thompson, who has a uh, podcast called Basic Bible Podcast, um, he wrote on our uh, post on Facebook and said, "Sorry, I'm too busy being the church to go to or talk about church." <laughs> dot dot dot. Sunglasses face. <laughs> so obviously that was sad. There you go. <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm too busy being in a dating relationship to plan out my dating relationship. No, I'm too busy be- being in a dating relationship to to go on dates with my date <laughs> with my. <laughs> that's what that means. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm too busy being in a in a relationship to go on dates. <laughs> that's that's what. That's, yep. that's what you're saying when you say you're too busy being in the church to go to church. You can't be the church without going to church, and that doesn't mean it's a physical building. It means you have to gather with other believers. Mm-hmm. Um, and. This gathering has to include the marks of the biblical church, which we will go through. So first is confessions. Do we have any other things that we want to say about confessions? No. Nice segue. Wow. <laughs> okay. There you go. So uh, the next one on this list. And now because uh, we've said that was the first one, all these numbers are going to be out of out of order now. Um, <laughs> the first on this list is the sound teaching and understanding of the gospel. An essential mark for the existence of a true church is its embracing of the biblical gospel. The gospel is the message of Christ that pertains to salvation, and therefore the gospel is fundamental to a church's vitality, life, and growth. Right? So, I mean, Ecclesiology 101, a te- teach and understand the gospel, right? If you don't have a clear fundamental in that sense of you know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, right? The the pastor elders know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is and they faithfully preach it and their congregants understand it, then it's not a biblical church. You know, go to a, a church that soundly and regularly preaches the whole gospel, mm-hmm. right? And that includes yes. sin and hell. Yes. Any other comments or thoughts on that? If those first two things are not talked about, there is no gospel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this whole thing gives me a really handy um, list of verses, too. So give me a hot second, and I'll, I'll look up some of them. So first one here that they wrote down is uh first corinthians 1 17 through 2 5 so just reading a little bit of that for christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of christ be emptied of its power for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of god for it is written i will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning i will thwart 
Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the sage? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Honestly, I can't think of a better section of scripture <laughs> when talking about this, this sound yeah. teaching and understanding of the gospel, because mm -hmm. so often in our current evangelical world, and I, I can only speak to America's current situation because that's the only one I'm familiar with. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I, it's, it's always cool to hear about countries in, uh, in other places, you know, other countries and other places that have sound biblical teaching and sound biblical churches. Currently in America, we do not have a very good paradigm going on. Um, no, and, that, not. and that paradigm basically includes all the things these verses say not to do, right? So where the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Um, for some reason in America's churches, we feel that we need to preach the folly and the world's wisdom yep. and do all of those things to get, the people who think the cross is folly in the doors when they're not supposed to be here in the first place. Um, and I can't think of a stronger way to say it. <laughs> so, No, that's good. Point number two. Uh, yeah. So the, Oh no, I would say, yeah, I would just say ahead. one last thing is that the gospel is the most beneficial to Christians. Mm -hmm. Not in the sense that it saves them, that it reminds them of why they're saved, how they were saved. And that makes them um, more disciplined to keep in that faith and to not drift away from what they have heard, like it says in Hebrews 2. Mm -hmm. um, to be more diligent of, um, to, to know the gospel, not to drift away from it, right? That's keeping your congregation saved. Not that somehow if you don't preach the gospel, God will abandon them. But that is a means of grace by which God uses to keep his mm -hmm. children saved yeah. is by the sound continuation or continual preaching of the gospel. Yeah. yeah. I was doing a CLI lesson today, a reading, and it was talking about um, like personal devotions. And um, one of the key things in it was that you should focus on um, the gospel message in anything that you're reading in the Bible and that, you should be preaching the gospel to yourself every day too, not just to other people because mm. yep. Christians need to be reminded of it as well. Yeah. What you, what you said, Connor, about um, the means of grace um, is a really, really good thing that I've, I've really been kind of getting an understanding of myself, what that phrase really means. Um, right. Like God throughout scripture commands churches to have these regular, ordinances and the preaching of the word and all of these things, not only because, I mean, for the obvious reasons, right, that the Bible is the word of God and so on and so forth, right, but that they are means of grace. They are the the means that God has provided in this world to the regular providing of grace through Jesus Christ, right? So hearing the word of God is a is a means by which God uses God gives us grace, right? He gives us grace for um, for sins. He, he leads us to repentance, right? He continually helps us to become more like Christ, and this is only through the teaching and understanding of the gospel. 
um, and, and all of the other peripheral things that come with that, you know, in a, in a sound biblical church, right? So um, God doesn't, you can't just stand there and expect God to just provide for every single need for you. Like this is the means that he has provided for you. Um, I saw a meme recently where it was like, um, someone's like, I, I, I don't feel worthy enough to go to church. And then like the, the, the character in the meme, like freaked out and, and like, was like looking like crazy and being like, no, but the means of grace were provided <laughs> for people like you, <laughs> like you are the reason that these things exist. Like if you feel unworthy, go to church. Yeah. That's what it's there for. Right. It will, the preaching of the word will lead you to repentance. will can, will make you more like Christ. You'll be able to be in fellowship with other believers. God will give you grace through that. Don't try to clean yourself up before you go to church because church <laughs> is there for your cleansing. <laughs> don't take a bath before you take a shower. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because baths don't actually clean you that well. True. You just <laughs> sit there in your own dirt. Exactly. It's disgusting. <laughs> nope. uh, but yeah. So point number two on this list is the, um, I guess point number zero was confessions. There you go. That will make the account right. right. <laughs> point number two is the proper administration and observance of the ordinances. The ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs mm -hmm. and seals of God's promises and blessings and salvation. And for, and are for those alone who have made a valid profession of faith and so have committed to follow Jesus Christ. Um, and this is one of the things that separates our conviction as Roman Reformed Baptists from Presbyterian conviction in which these ordinances would also be provided for um, the children of believers um, who we do not, that we do not believe that is correct ecclesiology um, mainly because uh, the new covenant, it seems clear in scripture, the new covenant is only for the elect is only for believers. Um, and that includes baptism and the Lord's supper. Um, so let's talk Agreed. about this. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about this. Baptism what? Baptism makes children think that they're saved mm. before they're saved. Mm -hmm. Don't confuse them. They are small children. They don't understand things. Just don't confuse them. It's very simple. Yep. Um, Just keep preaching the gospel to your children, but don't yes. make them think <laughs> that yes. they're already Baptism Christians. is not a means of grace for salvation. Baptism is a command. It is a outward sign. Baptism is not a means of grace to make you more like Christ. Baptism is an outward sign of the work that has already been done in you mm -hmm. that has made you more like Christ. And the same with communion. Communion does not make you more like Christ. It is an, it is a, a repentance that is an, well, I mean, once again, just an outward showing a, a unity event in which you are proclaiming, christ in you and christ resurrected and what you mean um, right connor by um uh these ordinances don't make you more like christ you mean for just anyone right like so a right. non-believer takes these things that isn't going to lead them to salvation it's no honestly going to condemn them is what it's right. actually yeah. going to do yeah don't drink judgment on yourself right after the <laughs> verses that we read when we take communion um i'm not sure exactly where that i think it's first yeah, corinthians I, 10 they're they're in in this yes yeah, first Corinthians ten, yeah they're in this um, listing right after the verses that you read I'll just read it that say take communion uh yeah so it it's um uh, oh, wait a second 
That actually might not be the passage. First Corinthians 10? Uh, looks like it might be 11. Yeah, here we go. First um, Corinthians 11, verse 23 and onward. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now that is where we usually end when we do communion. Mm -hmm. The verse continues, the passage continues and says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. This does not mean just un unbelievers, but certainly unbelievers. But also if you come to the Lord's Supper with unrepentant sin, um, so on and so forth. It says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Uh, that's, it just goes into other things. But so... And what's interesting about that passage, right? So this is serious stuff. Don't take the Lord's Supper. Don't take communion if you aren't saved. And also don't take communion if you have unrepentant sin. But what's interesting about this, this passage is it says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup, right? The, the purpose of communion is to lead you to a point, like if you get to a point where you're about to take the Lord's Supper, that is a moment to reflect, and if you find yourself in want, don't take the Lord's Supper. But that could be a moment to come to repentance before the Lord and repent of your sin and then take the, from the cup and, 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 and the bread gladly and joyfully. Um, but taking it unworthily, thinking that you are okay taking it when you have unrepentant sin or you're not a believer, that, that will just invite judgment on you, as this passage clearly states. Yeah. So, especially that, don't make don't make children take communion. Don't do it. Yeah, you, don't you let, are. Don't let your kids take communion. You are literally um, leading them into judgment. That's what you're doing. Sorry. Take, take your time. Let them come to faith. Let them understand thoroughly what communion is, and when they think that they are ready because they have repented of their sins explain to them what it means and let them take it. Yep. Um, so do we want to just keep talking about the Lord's Supper since we're on it? I thought that was a pretty thorough. Uh... I mean, there are, there are other things we can talk about, <laughs> right? We we're talking about proper ecclesiology. What does it mean to take communion in church? Right. I mean, eat, a... drink and be merry for tomorrow. We die. Nope, that's not, <laughs> That's not it. <laughs> That's a different passage. Um, right? So be right before that um, scripture in, in verse 23, um, Paul was talking about, um, well, he was talking about this. I'll, I'll read it. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you came together, come together is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. That's an interesting verse on denominations. And, uh, yeah. And on, and the truth and unity, 
or unity in the truth. Um, okay, hold up. Let's before before we move on, let's just mm-hmm. real quick just make a statement on that. Okay, unity is meant to prove who's a Christian and who's a not. Yeah. Theology is to be something that we unify on, not agree to disagree, because that is one of the ways that we tell who is saved and who is not. Mm-hmm. Is correct theology and correct doxology. So if there is disunity between Christian members in a church, let them talk it out, encourage them to talk it out, and then come to an agreement by going to scripture and learning the truth. Mm-hmm. And they will prove that they are saved by not only coming to the same conclusion, but perhaps learning to respect one another's opinions and finding that uh, disagree. Disag- uh, not agreeing to disagree in the sense that you can believe what you want and I believe what I want, but agreeing that it's a secondary issue or a tertiary issue. Uh, well, actually just a tertiary issue really, because we're talking about within the church and then agreeing that it's not worth fighting over and that neither of them are in sin because it's a tertiary issue and both of their minds are made up. Right. First Corinthians. Yeah. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not first Corinthians Romans 15. Mm-hmm. and 14 i think right we're all in agreement on that one mm-hmm. sure okay mm-hmm. um continuing on that verse then the, the point i was gonna come to is it says when you come together it is not the lord's supper that you eat for in eating each one goes ahead with his own meal one goes hungry another gets drunk what <laughs> that's what it says <laughs> what with an exclamation point do you not have houses to eat and drink in or do you despise the church of god and humiliate those who have nothing what shall i say to you shall i commend you in this no i will not and then he continues he continues with for i received from the lord what i also delivered to you can you imagine getting drunk on communion yeah can you imagine the wrath <laughs> and so i, I want to point this out because i think we as a current our current evangelical churches really have a weird perception of this. The Lord's Supper is about eating together as the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. It's not like this thing where it's it's supposed to be like, all right, and everybody gets a little little cracker, and all right, eat it, and all right, everybody gets a little cup of grape juice, and we're going to forget it ever happened. No, right. it's special. It's important. It's about a communal meal together. Like, I honestly think it would be more faithful um, to the to what communion really is to just literally have a potluck after church <laughs> and, and have the bread and wine there, right? And, and like partake of it as like that particular thing and then just continue out like with the rest of it as just a meal together right yeah. have that be like the beginning of a meal together where you you take of communion and then you just be in fellowship and have a meal together that's what this is about more than anything it's about the unity of the church it's about the church coming together in communion yes. that's what the word means and that makes it so much more important that if you have unrepentant sin that you mm-hmm. don't partake in the unity of Christians because you're mm. not there because you're in unrepentant sin. That's why in Matthew 18, it says that if somebody is in unrepentant sin, go to them and tell them their fault. And then if they still don't repent, you bring along another brother and then you bring it before the church 
because sin is a church issue. It's a church discipline issue. And if they're an unrepentant sin and they are together with the body of believers, thinking that they're in unity, they're bringing judgment upon themselves. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, we have a, a Bible study that we usually do Sunday afternoons um, after after our, our current church. Um, and uh, we, like, I, I, I tell you what, there have been times... There has been like, you know, one or two times where I, I definitely does not feel like the reason I didn't want to go to that Bible study was because I knew it was going to be basically exactly what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be about. Like a communion between between believers. We're eating together. We're studying the word of God together. And I felt like, oh, I shouldn't go today because I have un- like I, I realized in that moment I had unrepentant sin and I was like struggling with it. I'm like. Am I like have a clean conscience right now? Can I like honestly repent of this sin right now, or am I still holding on to it? And I had to like take like a good like half an hour to really like wrestle with that before I like allowed myself to go because I I was like I was feeling that and I didn't want to be in communion with other Christians if I wasn't feeling like I I was being genuine with that rather than like uh being there and pretending like everything was okay. Right. Um, and that's not, that's not to say that you shouldn't like go again, go to church if you have like a sin that you're dealing with or whatever. Right. Like it means go to church and then deal with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like go there and and deal with it and, 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 uh, be in in fellowship with other believers and have them help you. That's what they're there for. Um, but yeah, any any other thoughts on the Lord's Supper, Carly? Um, yeah. So, uh, my family for the past like three months was looking for a new church, and one of the churches um, that we visited, it kind of weirded us out because when they did communion, they went up and got the elements, the bread and the juice, but they didn't take it together. They just took it individually um, in the same time but not at the same time um and it it kind of weirded us out one because it wasn't what what we were used to because our church didn't do it that way but also because like that's kind of besides the point of it like the point of it is that it's supposed to be a united thing as the body of christ it's not supposed to be something that you just do alone Mm -hmm. right Yeah, when you enter a unity with God, you enter a unity with his people. Mm-hmm. That's why church is important. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so let's talk a little bit about... Oh, oh, one last thing I wanted to talk about in the Lord's Supper. Every week. Every week. Do it every week. Why, like... To something that just frustrates me so much, something I've been learning recently and really kind of grasping because our church, you know, for the longest time, our church, um, and this is, I love our church. I, I really do. Um, but we practice it like monthly, do communion monthly. Why? Why do we do this? This is, this ha- this is most of the time, like most of the evangelical churches I see, it's like a monthly or like quarterly or whatever. I'm like, 
Why? Like, this is, like, really important. Like, it, it, it's so important that if you take it wrong, you have judgment on you, but it's, you're supposed to take it. You're supposed to do it all the time. Whenever you come together, do it. So yeah. let's clarify something real quick about communion. Uh, Romans eight one still counts. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. We're talking mm-hmm. about discipline. You're going to be disciplined yes. by God. Yeah, we're talking about. First yeah, it's not like you're going to like go to hell. You know, if you're a Christian who doesn't take communion right, that's not what we're saying. The context of that, as you see in like two verses later, is if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged by the Lord. So we not be condemned along with the world. God will judge us. So when we bring judgment on ourselves, God has to then discipline us so we won't be condemned along with the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a thing I just wanted to throw out that we should really be doing communion every week. There's no reason not to. It's just, it's just lazy. So, um, but baptism, let's talk about baptism. What do we have to say about baptism? When you get saved, do it right away. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so weird to me where it's just like, all right, I got saved. And then it's like months later, you hear like in church, like Bap- uh, there's a baptism class coming up and you can be baptized if you know you haven't followed that commandment of the Lord's. It's just like, why aren't we like, as soon as someone gets saved, makes a profession of faith, just be like, all right, right now, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> or at the very least, like, okay, this Sunday, let's go. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's important because, I mean, that's that's the the pattern we've been given in scripture, right? It's, it's literally yeah. like someone makes a profession of faith. If there's a river nearby, you just baptize them. Just go do <laughs> yep. it. Um, because that should, it should matter, right? Like this is, this is important. And if you truly have repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, the next logical step is to signify that seal that with the sign of with the ordinance of baptism. Um, and as we will again establish baptism is for only people who have made a valid profession of faith and have mm-hmm. committed right. to follow Jesus Christ. And if somebody is a Christian, and dies without being baptized, they are still saved. Mm-hmm. Baptism is not a means of grace for salvation. Nowhere in scripture is that ever given as a anything that's not even hinted at that baptism is a means of grace for salvation. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just an outward sign of the inward spiritual cleansing. Baptism with the Holy Spirit is what saves you, mm-hmm. not baptism with the cleansing of water. And so there are a couple, there are two primary um, groups that push back against that idea one is presbyterians um slash to to a a more extreme sense catholics um where they say that baptism i mean so so i guess mixing those two is maybe isn't isn't fair presbyterians there's maybe three groups then presbyterians will say um you know as soon as you're like baptism is a i think the, the people who disagree with that point on baptism will usually say this specific thing. Baptism is God's work, not our work. That's usually what people say. Um, that's what I've found. Where if they, if they argue against it, they're saying, like, baptism is God's work, and so it's not, like, a work for salvation. But you it's, like, it's a necessary part of salvation because God's doing it, not you. And so, if, like, 
and that's usually the, the what they say about that. So Presbyterians who will baptized say that, Jesus, John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Okay, just checking. <laughs> right, and, and obviously, yeah, I, th- I I disagree with it too. But I'm just to be fair for the other side. Like I'm I'm trying to present maybe a, an opposing viewpoint here. So Presbyterians, right. for example, will will say, um, you know, um, God has promised that like, um, that uh, you know. The God, or salvation will be for you and your household, like that sort of thing, right? They'll they'll take those verses and, and try to try to say that um, that you baptize children because it is a sign that God will save them in the future, sort of a thing. Because they're right? under covenant. Because they're under the covenant, right? It, it, in the same way that Israel was under the covenant, like that that mm-hmm. the whole family, right, was under the the covenant together, and that's why circumcision was a thing, um, and so circumcision and baptism are closely related as as ordinances of the old and new covenants respect respectfully or respectively um good luck with that what good luck with that good luck with what saying that your children are going to be saved in the future right and 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 that's the thing that i i think the main thing that they're getting wrong here and this is like a very truncated simplified quick straw man argument that i'm making right here so Bear with me. I realize that I'm not going into depth here, but just as the a, simplest answer is usually the best. So yes, but so the, the answer, the simple answer to provide for that situation is to point at the difference in the new covenant that the new covenant is for the elect only. And there's a spiritual reality that is being, um, that has been foreshadowed in the physical reality of the old covenant that is only spiritual in the new covenant, right? So families in a physical sense are not, automatically in the covenant in the same way that they were in the old covenant because Mm -hmm. the new covenant is not for ethnic peoples the new covenant is for believers from all ethnic peoples so the children being mentioned in that passage right for you and your children and for all those who are far off um and let me let me find specifically um um for you and your children sounds like romans 4 because i was reading that today uh that yeah x x um it says um this Peter, Peter saying to people, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So that mm-hmm. is the qualifying statement for that entire passage, right? So when a Presbyterian looks at that and says, for the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, Right, like, oh, you're in your children. It's the promises for you and your children, the promise of salvation, and then I'll be like, everyone whom the Lord our God God calls to Himself. Um, yep. So, how do you know who God calls? You don't. And God so, calls all children for all Christians. Exactly. And so, it's, uh, honestly, that's kind of the the gist I'm getting from Presbyterians most of the time, honestly. Um, and so the and and I'll, I could be corrected on that. I. I don't know specifically. No, God commands all men everywhere to repent. Yes. So what I'm what I'm trying to get to here is I the the Reformed Baptist position on this is that those passages need to be interpreted in light of the spiritual reality that is the new covenant. 
So when children are mentioned in the New Covenant, those are referring to baby Christians. They are not referring to actual physical flesh and blood children of physical people because mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. That's an, That was how the old covenant works. The new covenant is a spiritual covenant. It's a spirit. The, the people have the, the, the Holy Spirit, have the law written on their hearts, right? The Holy Spirit is inside of them. The Holy Spirit is not in a child who has not made a valid confession of faith and repented of their sins and been regenerated. That, that hasn't happened yet. And so they can't be part of the new covenant because the new covenant is only for believers. It's only for the elect. It's only for those who are actually regenerate. Um, and but so Caleb, these, let the children come to me. Faith like a child. Oh, absolutely. And we can totally get to that later when we talk about children in uh, church. <laughs> um, but, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so... The other point that I hear against that, um, so the United Churches of Christ have a have a thing where they they believe that um, baptism is a saving work, right? So you have to be baptized to be saved, and if you aren't baptized, you will not be saved. Like that, that, that you will go to hell. Um, and they like to point out that, like you know, it says repent and be baptized, right? Like that. Mm-hmm. That's the the pattern found there and then you'll be saved yeah. or be baptized and then be saved. you know that repentance doesn't save you either <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. wow right. and so we, <laughs> that's the thing right that argument with we, point, we point to the 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 same thing that the romans points to right the idea that our righteousness can't save us and the mm-hmm. things that we do are from god and i agree to some extent that baptism is a work of god spiritual baptism of the heart right um the baptism of the holy spirit that comes through regeneration which is what baptism actually is the physical Mm -hmm. baptism that is happening when you dunk someone underwater and then lift them up again is a physical sign that that has happened um the actual like and and this is and so one of the things that in the back and forth between this viewpoint and reformed baptist viewpoint one would usually try to would point to um uh say the thief on the cross um yep. and say all right jesus said you know this day you will be with me in paradise um and so i mean he wasn't baptized but jesus said that and so i i've said that to a person who believed this viewpoint and their response to me and i'm curious what you guys think about this their response to me was they were still under the old covenant and so they didn't need to be <laughs> need to be baptized to to be saved what would you say to that I'm curious. I mean, I, mean, I would ask them when the new covenant started. Yeah, the I'm first thing I thought it. was it was Jesus himself that told him that that he was going to be saved. So, <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing. So their argument was like because he was still under the old covenant, then he didn't need to be baptized. So because he was circumcised, probably right. Mm. Um, but so I just I was just curious what your guys' thoughts were. But if you don't have any initial thoughts, my belated response after the conversation had already ended and i was like oh this is how i should have answered um was uh jesus had already been baptized at that point the disciples had already been baptized at that point john the baptist had been baptizing Mm. people at that point yeah if baptism saves you he should have been baptized if he was supposed to be saved there he was not under the old covenant because the old covenant was obviously if baptism is what they say it is right then 
it couldn't have been he couldn't have been part of the old covenant because the people were already being baptized that that ordinance had already begun but if you understand if you have a proper understanding of what baptism is and so we've been going through john with our kids at um in, in youth group and one of the things i pointed out to the kids was look at what the point of baptism is from John the Baptist's perspective, from what he was doing, why he was doing it. And when you look at like purification rites in Israel, how baptism had developed as a tradition before John the Baptist came on the scene, you see that baptism was for cleansing. It was for, it was a purification rite. And more importantly for John the Baptist, it was a mark that you were preparing yourself for the kingdom. The kingdom of God was coming upon um, Israel, the kingdom of God as inaugurated by Jesus Christ. And for John the Baptist, his baptism was a baptism of readiness. It was repent of your sins because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so that's ultimately what baptism is for everyone. It's a sign and seal of the kingdom. It's saying you are part of this kingdom. You have readied yourself. You have repented of your sins and you are, you have readied yourself for the kingdom before Jesus fully inaugurated the the new covenant, right? It was a readying yourself for the arrival of the, of the kingdom. But now it is a sign and seal of the fact that you are in the kingdom that is currently present. Um, and when you just look at the historical context of what baptism is, then you see that it, it's not this ephemeral, uh, work that God has to, like God does through people and you have to be saved by it. It's like any other ordinance, any other o obedience in scripture it's not from us, ultimately, because the Holy Spirit provides it, provides the ability to for us to be obedient. But it's not necessary for salvation because, and not in the same way, right? Ultimately, the only thing that's necessary for salvation is God's grace, right? It's God's grace through the blood of Jesus Christ being applied to sinners through the Holy Spirit. Um, but Jared. Caleb, that's too easy. <laughs> but... As with everything, if you don't obey Christ, it's probably a sign that you weren't saved to begin with. Right. It's right? evidence. It's exactly. not salvific. Just it's like evidence. repentance. Right? Right. If someone doesn't actually repent of their sins, I would question their salvation. Right? If they, mm -hmm. they didn't come to face faith, I would question their salvation. Even if, even if they say, yeah, God, Jesus saved me. If someone doesn't get baptized and when pressed on it says, no, I won't get baptized. Mm -hmm. then I would question their salvation, right? Because and if they say, oh, well, whatever, I'm just lazy, then they're just in sin. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Um, but just like anything, it's a, it's a, a sign of obedience towards, towards Christ, right? There are signs and seals of God's promises and blessings and salvation and are for those alone who have made a valid profession of faith and so have committed to follow Jesus Christ. God... Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of how I want to. <laughs> the thought to me that someone would genuinely convert, genuinely fall on their face before God, repent in sackcloth and ashes, and have a regenerated heart, and then die on the way to being baptized, that they wouldn't go to heaven makes zero sense to me yeah i don't i don't see that and, and i don't say that as an emotional like it doesn't make sense to my feelings it doesn't make sense in scripture you can't yeah. see that in scripture when we look at romans what does romans says R romans say it says god exchanged jesus's 
righteousness with ours. And so Jesus gets our sin. We get God's righteousness. End of story. That's how it works. The Holy Spirit, the, the Father, elects us before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ dies for our sins. That salvation is applied to us through the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel. That's the salvation. If you, if you try to add another layer on top of that and say, if you don't do this, then you can't be saved. It's not that you aren't, it's not that if you don't do this, you aren't saved because that could be a thing where we talk about, right? Obedience, like a, a, a faith without works is dead. That's what James mm-hmm. says. That's clear. But there, we can't switch those things around. Just like faith can't be before regeneration because you need regeneration to have faith. All of it has to start with the Holy Spirit and then it works outward from there. But regeneration is the only thing that we need for salvation. And then God does the rest of that. It's not, and, and honestly, it comes from an Arminian viewpoint. This, this idea that this yeah. thing needs to be done or else this person is going to hell. In the same way that Arminians, when they're um, preaching the gospel, they feel like they have to say the exact right words and it's up to them or else this person will reject Christ. That's not how salvation works. God saves people through the Holy, through the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, the faithful preaching of the gospel. And we don't do any of that, right? God, God will do the salvation process. He will initiate it. He will carry it through to its completion. We just have to be faithful to the steps along the way. And we will be faithful to the steps along the way if we're truly saved. And so if we try to get really technical about these definitions, if we try to be really nitpicky with the order of like all right if you know you've got to be saved right away or like you're you're literally like you're gonna die if you die before you get baptized you're gonna go to hell like the, i just don't see that in scripture the one last thing I'd, I'd point to for that is um when paul talks about baptism um When he talks in First Corinthians um, one, and I think this kind of just puts it puts it to rest for me personally. Um, and if you guys have any other thoughts after this, um, feel free. Um, but it says in First Corinthians one, it says, uh, "Let me find the context here." So he's talking about divisions in the church. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our, Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it is it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God, that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, Mm -hmm. and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. If baptism is so important as a qualification for salvation, that if you died before having it, you would go to hell. How would Paul ever say that? Mm-hmm. Ever. How would Paul yeah. ever say, I am glad I bapt- I thank God that I baptized none of you. Mm-hmm. He would never say that. That's not a thing you would ever say. 
if, if yeah. you're getting old Jeff Durbin on this. I, <laughs> I seriously am, yeah. If, if, I've been listening uh, to Apology all day, so. If, uh, if Romans 9, with what Paul says at the beginning of Romans 9, that he would, he wishes that he himself could take the wrath of God for other people, that he could be condemned to hell for that somebody else could be saved. And yet he decided specifically not to baptize these people yep. and left them to yeah, their condemnation. That would be inconsistent. What if somebody have died there? What if somebody had died <laughs> yep. in the past, like like before he came to them again? And it sounds and it sounds right, like um, like he like preached the gospel, and then like there were already Christians there that were like baptizing the believers there, right? right? And then other people who are coming through, like Apollos and Cephas or whatever, right? Like they were saying, "Oh, I baptized. I was baptized by this person. I was baptized by that person." But mm-hmm. yeah, like, right. For, for Paul to just preach the gospel and then just be like, all right, you baptize each other. And then I'm going to go off to this other thing. Right. That's not what he would do. If he actually was like confession of faith. Okay. We need to baptize you instantly or else you're going to go to hell. If you don't, if you die, right. I mean, that's not a thing you would ever, you know, uh, it just frustrates me. Okay. Well, we're not Presbyterians, so. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Moving on. Um, and then one last point: uh, the Catholic view of of baptism is totally bunk. And baptism, it like where y- y- you baptize an infant and then they're automatically going to go to heaven. We we obviously don't believe right. that either. <laughs> yeah, it's not how that works. <laughs> nope, not how that works at all. Uh, for all the reasons that we already mentioned. But anyway, so moving on to point three. Um, out of the ten points that we have here, and it's already nine twenty. Um, yeah. Church discipline. Christ is cons- yeah. Christ is concerned with the purity and faithfulness of his church, of which the gospel serves as the standard or rule. The practice of church discipline in- is one way in which this purity and faithfulness is maintained. This is closely related to the previous mark, proper administration of the ordinances, as baptism is to be withheld from those who do not have valid profession of faith, and the Lord's Supper is to be withheld from those living in open and re- unrepentant sin. The final stage of church discipline is the removal of the persons from the fellowship of the church slash congregation. The purpose of church discipline, however, is the hope of eventually restoring Mm -hmm. the person through repentance. I just get all apology again. I heard (laughs) them, I listened to an episode of them talking about church discipline they had to do in their church. And hearing them Mm -hmm. talk about it was just so eye-opening to me of the, we just don't get it we don't get what church discipline is for and if we really did we would be loving people way more than we are church discipline is about loving people because if you have someone who is in open and unrepentant sin you call them out on it you bring them before you like you 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 go to them one-on-one first in matthew 18 right you go through this principle let's let's just go read matthew 18 let's let's do that (laughs) And, and and talk about the processes of church discipline here because i think they're super important um, yeah, here we go. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother, right? So right away, if you have, if there's a problem, if there's a person in unrepentant sin in the church, if there's an issue, go talk to them, right? You are their brother or sister in Christ. Go talk to them. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother, right? You you corrected them. He they will be thankful, and there you go. That that's how that's how it goes, right? You be account, hold each other accountable, right? That's what this is about. Iron sharpens iron. 
But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence or two of two or three witnesses. So now we go back to the Old Testament. The standards of God's justice have not changed. You bring one or two others with you. So we have two or three witnesses, right? You and you know one or two others. You go before them and you... But you've tell, told these other people what has been happening, the unrepentant sin that this person is, is in. You have a conversation with them. And if you and these other people bring it before them and they're still unrepentant, right? And then according to the two or three witnesses, then if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And so you and those two other witnesses, you come before the church and you say, we have witnessed the fact that this person is an unrepentant sin. And we are bringing it to you as a judiciary body of spiritual matters to do justice on them, right? So that the, the body can be reconciled. And so if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So one thing I want to talk about that I really didn't get until I listened to that episode on apolo uh, apology on church discipline is that I don't think we, we really get when we read these verses, what this means, right? So this doesn't just mean, you know, kick them out of the church because they can't be part of fellowship and they can't take the Lord's supper or have baptism, right? That's, that's an important part of this, right? We don't want to bring taint into the body by having a person there who isn't, um, who's unrepentant and is going to um, bring disunity to the body of Christ. But think about it this way. This is what they pointed out that I, I didn't really think about. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What do we do with Gentiles and tax collectors? Preach we the gospel. We preach <laughs> the gospel to them. Right? That's why this is so good. That's why this is so loving. And churches mm -hmm. that don't practice church discipline aren't being loving because this is about souls. This is about repentance. This is about the gospel being faithfully preached to these people. If we ignore unrepentant sin, they won't have the gospel preached to them as if they were an unbeliever. And so they, they will continue thinking through your lax, through our laxity, right? Through our ignorance and our um, uh, Na naivety, naivete, yeah, right. Uh, 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 towards them, naivete is how you'd say it. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's a French word. <laughs> it is. Um. Then we and I've totally lost my train of thought. I don't. Um, <laughs> if we if we do this right, if we if we ignore their sin, we are not loving them. Because they mm -hmm. could be, they could die tomorrow and go to hell. And it is, I mean, it's ultimately their responsibility, right? To, to get right before God. But we are not being loving to them in providing them accountability and providing them with the chance to come face to face with God once more and be charged with their sin to look at the law of God and see their unworthiness and then come to faith in Jesus Christ through repentance. We are not giving that to them. Instead, we are lying to them through uh, omission, right? And saying through omission that it's okay for you to be in the body of Christ, even though you're totally not a Christian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the Old Testament, several prophets, God tells, I'm giving you this message and you are to tell the people. And then if they don't repent, then it's on them. Mm -hmm. But if you don't deliver this message... 
it's on you. Yeah. And so that's how we should be looking at preaching the gospel and especially to people who supposedly profess Christ, but do not live on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have any thoughts, Connor? Yeah, I'm trying to find a verse. Okay. Um, yeah, here, let me let me look up some of the other passages that this this gives. Um, yeah, I mean, we have the account of Ananias and Sapphira, right? But a man named Ananias and his, with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself mm. some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. But when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear mm -hmm. came upon all who heard it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for, this, for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who are buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately <laughs> she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Yeah. Right? That's direct church discipline given by God. <laughs> yeah. Um, But like, we need to take it as seriously, right? Like a, a person who is lying, say just for an example, right? Lying to the church, they're lying to God, right? If they are like tainting the holy um body of christ with sin ultimately they are sinning against god and that is serious um like i i'm reminded of of the verse in hebrews that says impossible it's impossible to restore those who have tasted of the holy spirit and and have since fallen away right this idea that um the, there are people who will be in the christian church and who are not Christians, and they will fall away from from Christ. And and part of church discipline is to be able to be discerning about those sorts of things, and to find those people and to treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector, not just because you want to um, make pure the body of Christ, but also because you want to love them and bring them face to face with the holy god once more when mm -hmm. they maybe are deceiving themselves into thinking that they don't have to face that uh there's a joke about uh that i've been making as of recently where somebody will say oh, blah 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 whatever and then i'll be like well now i have to treat you as my enemy or wow well, you're my enemy now and they'll be like what no way and i'm like yeah you know what that means that means i'm commanded to love you <laughs> and uh yeah. It's the same thing with like Gentiles and tax collectors. It's like, oh, treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. Like treat them as, as like this person who's outside the church. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, wait a second. Like, because our <laughs> immediate, our, yeah. right. Our immediate uh, assumption is, oh, treat them like a tax collector. Oh, well, you ignore tax collectors. You do this to tax collectors. And you're like, oh, wait, no, I'm a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> what, what do I actually do? What do yeah. I actually do with tax collectors and Gentiles? Mm -hmm. whoops love but, your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. exactly <laughs> yeah and more and, mo and most importantly yeah preach the gospel yeah. to them right 
Um, and, and that's, that's just because loving people involves preaching. The gospel. Exactly. You can do mo- no more loving thing than preach the gospel to someone. Wait, what? I thought that was the penultimate. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, Carly, did we tell you about that story? I don't think okay, so. Okay. So Connor was doing the, and this will be a fun story for the, for the listeners too. Um, Connor was, was doing, uh, uh, giving an announcement at our church for the evangelism and evangelism ministry that we're starting. Um, and, he he said that preaching the gospel to people was the penultimate act of love. <laughs> what he meant to say was that preaching the gospel to people was the ultimate act of love. <laughs> but instead, he said it was the second to most ultimate. <laughs> and so... Yep. And, I, and I said it three times. I did the announcement <laughs> three times. And Caleb oh heard gosh. it each and every time. And I even brought it to him and was like, hey, Caleb, this is my speech because oh, yeah. I had like written it out. It and like asked him, like, was there any part of it that like didn't make sense or like you would correct? Like, does it sound good? Well, and so- every single time I said it in the thing, he was like, oh, that's not what he means to say. And he just forgot to tell me. Yep. Because every time, like, I thought about it, and then something came up that made me forget about it. Every time. And then it was it was a mess. Yeah, sorry. That was my fault. Uh, but, yeah. So, uh, again, church discipline is really important. And don't mm-hmm. neglect it. And, like, I feel like I'm, I'm curious as to, like, who we're talking to when we say these things. Because um, I, I doubt, like, some random pastor is going to listen to this and be like, wow, I need to, like... <laughs> change my church ecclesiology but i don't know maybe oh my goodness no no pastor would change their ecclesiology because some three punk kids said anything about it because they have pride in their tradition and that's the problem so why we have these church issues is because pastors have pride in their tradition and not in what the bible actually says now what we're doing is we're teaching ecclesiology to people who will listen and then they not only choose better churches but if they're thinking of starting a church or if somebody is going to be a pastor, then that's how yeah, you change. Yeah, now I know our audience, young people. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Yeah. We're, we're post millennials, aren't we? It's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the uh, young generation, the, the children hold the key to the future. No, the children are the present. Well, yeah. Serial. That too. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Do we have anything else to say about uh, that one? Don't sin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I have one last point to, th- to say about that because I, I just thought of it. Um, I th- like proper church discipline would have solved many, many issues that I've seen in Christian brothers and sisters or people that I assumed were Christian brothers and sisters um, throughout my life. There have been many times where just a, a proper application of church discipline would have done wonders to not only help the church to be more unified, but also to be loving to that person instead of. And I and, and I I honestly feel also personally responsible for this because I didn't I didn't take the the first steps in church discipline, right towards this too, where there are people where I should have gone to them one on one and said you are in unrepentant sin. And you need to like repent of that and come to Christ. Uh, you know, you need to fall on your face before him. And I did not do that. And I regret it pretty much all the time. 
and uh, and now I, I don't have very good relationships with those people because we just continued to drift further and further apart. And by the time I felt I really got up the courage to say anything, it wouldn't have even mattered anymore. Um, and I felt, you know, I, I didn't have the right to say anything to them. Like, I, I wasn't close to them at all. Um, and so, yeah, this is important, guys. This is about loving people. This is about loving your brothers and sisters in Christ and iron sharpening iron, right? So one man sharpens another. Um, yeah. So point number four, fellowship. The unity, diversity, love, and common mission that exists among Christians tells us that we should fellowship together as a community, ministering to one another. God does not save us and leave us to ourselves. He brings us into the fellowship of his people, the universal slash invisible church, which finds its most visible manifestation in the local church. Christians are not to live independently from God's people. Baptism itself, which all Christians are commanded to receive, entails membership into a local church and submission to the church leadership. Christians must seek to live together in love and peace, helping and encouraging one another. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, and I tell you what, this is some of the coolest stuff about being a Christian is having mm -hmm. other Christian brothers and sisters to fellowship with. Um, because, man, I tell you what, those Sunday afternoon Bible studies are some of my favorite times in all of history. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, 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 and I think one part of this that I want to maybe point out right away is what we were talking about before, this idea of um, when we talked about Jesus says, you know, let the little children come to me. I think this is a, a really important aspect of that. Don't divide the church into subcultures. I think this this is the one the big takeaway that I can I can point to with this. Don't divide the church into subcultures. Don't make the youth group one church and the the big church one church and the young adult ministry one church and the children's ministry one church and then they all just kind of exist in the same building but don't ever really interact with each other. They don't um, interact, they don't interteach, they don't know who the other person is, and therefore they start teaching different things, and they almost start teaching different Gospels. Yep. Hmm. And uh, that's a serious issue, it turns out, but this is a this is a, something that is so rampant in evangelicalism in, in the West right now. Um, just, I mean, going back to the children thing, we don't let children into service. And so we create two churches. The children have their own church where they can be away from everybody else and not bother anyone else. And then the adults have their own church. There are so many issues with this. And I, I could go on a rant for hours about this topic. Um, but one of the things that it does most obviously to me is that it make it helps parents excuse themselves from teaching their children mm. um, yep. where they, they give the ch their children to the church and they get their Bible study and then they don't have to worry about it the rest of the week. All right. They've been, if my children aren't following Christ, it's not my fault. It's the church's fault because what are, aren't the, aren't the people teaching them good stuff that, I mean, that's the sort of subculture we create when we do this. Um, what Which children in a way feels yeah. comparative to, 
Christian families sending their children into public schools. <laughs> yeah, <it> turns out. <laughs> but yep. it, they feel fine about it because they're just sending them into another room in the church, even though yep. that's not that's not necessarily better. No. Yeah. Okay. Hold up. Let's 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 take that. Let's take that real quick. Mm-hmm. You give your kid one hour, probably on average, of Bible teaching. And then you specifically send them eight hours a day to be not only untrained in that one yeah. hour of learning, yep. but indoctrinated into a worldly, humanistic, relative yeah. morality. And then you blame the church because the church didn't teach your kids enough about God for them to be saved and actually make a difference in the world. And somehow, that is not your fault. Even though the Bible instructs parents to bring up their children yes. in faith. Yep. And if you want to bring up your kids in faith and fear in the admonition of the Lord, don't send them to public school. That's step number <laughs> yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two, teach your children about the Bible every day. Mm-hmm. Be yes. the primary educator of your child in spiritual matters. Okay, let's be fair. That is step number one. Step number two <laughs> is don't send them to public school. Yes, that's step number one. Yeah. Okay. Um, Just to clarify. And so one of the things that's important when we talk about fellowship, when we talk about unity in in uh, in the Christian church, the reason why this children um, children uh, parent thing is an issue is. And, and, and honestly, the reason that Baptist churches have a problem with it is because we don't have a Presbyterian um, view of baptism and pedo-baptism and pedo-communion. And so we it's easy for us to not view raising our children as seriously as Presbyterians do. Um, mm. But honestly, we should be more serious about raising our children than Presbyterians yeah. are. Yeah. Because, because we didn't just save them through baptism. Exactly. Yeah. Because they are unbelievers who are constantly seeing believers practice worship of the one true God. Mm -hmm. Right. And so our job is to consistently and constantly preach the gospel to them in everything we do and everything we say so that God will have mercy on them and save them. Right. And so a primary part of this is being together as a family in corporate worship. And so we could have a conversation all day about having like specific like Sunday school time where like uh, maybe, you know, like a, a specific set aside time where, you know, um, the the adults have a class that's a bit more high level geared towards them and the children have a class that's a bit lower, more low level geared towards them. But when we get, when you walk in the door to church. And immediately your children just like go to their side of the church and you go to your side of the church and you never interact with each other until you're on the car on the way home. That's an issue because that's called two different churches. That's called that's two different is. churches. Um, and one of them is a church made up of primarily unbelievers. So what like <laughs> I don't that's a good point. Right. Like I don't get I, I mean, in that situation is a very good chance that they're both made up of mostly unbelievers. Yes. Fair. Um <laughs> But right, like, like I'm, I'm not saying that you have to have like, whenever you go to a Bible class, you need your children right there. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that your children need to be singing you worship God in church mm-hmm. 
and they need to be standing right next to you. Yeah. Um. That they need that. They need it more than anything, almost anything else that they can need in 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 a church atmosphere. Um. They need to be. They need to be a part of what's happening because if they aren't, they will not stay. They won't. The reason ninety percent of children who profess to have a faith in like high school leave their faith leave their faith in college is because they never had a faith to begin with and the reason that happens is because their parents never taught them they sent them to youth group and ignored them they never followed up they never cared and they just assumed that the youth pastor was taking care of it that is not how to train your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's not how that works. Church is about the whole community coming together as the whole community and being a part and worshiping as the whole community all the time. Um, you can obviously you can split up into separate groups to have like particular classes and particular outreaches or whatever. But in the majority of practice as the church, we need to be together, um, even in like small group situations. And, and so because and there's, a, there's another thing we want to I want to get to. And I'm sorry, I'm talking a whole lot. And I want you guys to talk to you. But the, I think this would be a good jumping off point for you guys to to talk about this is um, the multi-generational aspect of the church being incredibly important. Right. The older people teaching the younger people, the younger people teaching the older people, right? Like having that constant give and take where you get the wisdom of the elder and the passion of the of the young people. And it is a beautiful mix. It really is when it's mm -hmm. properly multi-generational and they're interacting and they're doing missions together. They're doing evangelism together. They're worshiping together. They know each other. They love each other. They eat together. But our churches nowadays, especially when we have situations where it's like, all right, we have a traditional service and then we have a contemporary service. You've instantly created a division in the church where they will not interact with each other. Why would they? They don't believe they don't believe the same thing about church. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Thoughts, comments. That inspires laziness. You don't have to mentor. You can just get. You're not a part of the church. You just come to learn. Yeah. You're not a part of yeah. something real. You're just a part of something. <laughs> uh, it, the church becomes a concert. An event to go to and watch something. Rather than something that you participate in. Yep. Right. Because church needs to cost you something. Because that's, I mean, mm -hmm. obviously it's there for your edification, but it's also there for other, for the other members edification. And that means you need to edify them, <laughs> right? <Yep. laughs> like you can't just come there and expect to be given to all the time. Will there be days when you have nothing in you and you go to church because you need other believers to love you? Yes, mm -hmm. of course. But there's also going to be days when someone else comes into church like that and it's your job to love mm -hmm. them. So mm -hmm. you need to be ready for that right you need you can't go to church to consume you need to go to church to give and to consume yeah. you can do both like come to church to be edified and to edify like yep. understand that you're coming there and like 
so you can fill yourself up with, you know, good, healthy, biblical fellowship. And so you can make it in the world. Right. Um, but also so that you can do the same for other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hebrews 10, starting with verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Yeah. I had that verse on my thing here too. And um, when I was looking at, when I was looking at that verse, the one of the study notes in my Bible um, was talking about during that time, the reason that the writer of Hebrews was saying that was because the church was being persecuted. And because of that, people weren't going to church because they were scared of being, um, you know, made vulnerable or whatever. And, and that just further proves that we need to be in church because mm-hmm. if we need to be in church when it risks our lives, then we need to be in church when it doesn't risk our lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? That's not as exciting that way. Why would I do that? Because <laughs> the Bible says to. Ah, okay. You got me there. I guess I lose. Yeah. Just the last thing I would say about the whole children ministry thing mm-hmm. i would say absolutely have some sort of children's program so that parents who um want to be able to fellowship with other christians and study the word of god without having to have their kids with them the whole time yeah have it so that they have a bible study and that the children's have something that they can go to and then have church yeah <laughs> mm. yep and and yeah. have it beforehand so that people come early to get that and then they all go to church together and you don't have a children's ministry thing because church. (laughs) And then afterwards have communion. That's the plan. Don't let your kids have communion unless they've professed faith in Christ. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then talk to them about that. Talk to them about why they're not letting them take it. Right. Right. Like all of these are perfect learning opportunities, teaching opportunities yep. for mm-hmm. for you to teach your children, for you to show your children what it's like to be a Christian in a church. And yep. then when they grow up, they will have that as a habit, as a example for them. They will mm-hmm. know what it's like. And they mm-hmm. if if God has, you know, blessed them and, and saved them, they will love it. And they will fit mm-hmm. right in. They will know everyone. They they won't feel like they're out. Like there's such an issue with people in, in churches like this that have like subculture issues where uh, a young person will graduate from youth group and then they'll be expected to go to big church and they get there and they're like, this isn't anything like youth group was like. And they have no one they know. They have no connection to anyone. The, it, it's not anything similar to what they were expecting. Yep. And what do they do? 
they don't stay that's for sure (laughs) yeah i think one of the most common arguments or at least the first thing that i would think someone would say to um having kids in service is oh they're too young they can't comprehend what the pastor is necessarily exegeting like they don't understand all of that well then as parents isn't that the perfect opportunity when you get home to explain all of that Mm -hmm. like if they don't understand like ask them if they have questions and then explain and use the scripture from the sermon and find more scripture to support it and yeah it just makes more opportunities first of all Children understand more than people think. Yep. Yeah. Secondly, <laughs> honestly, it frustrates me so much when people think yeah. children are dumb. Like, nope. Secondly, unbelievers understand more about the Bible than most Christians think. That yep. mm-hmm. I've explained theonomy to my coworkers, and they said, "Yes, that is the best form of government. It has to be." <laughs> right. If and God I was is like, true, "Then yeah, of course." Right. And I was like, okay, I've had to, I've had to like spend hours trying to convince my Christian friends of theonomy and uh, Calvinism as well. Very easy to, people are like, oh yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And it's like, you're not even a Christian. And it's like, (laughs) they just understand, oh, that's what the Bible says. And so that's, that's what the belief is. They might not uh, believe it themselves or in in the sense that they think of it as true and internalize it and practice that. But they understand that 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 system of belief makes most sense according to what the book says. Yes. Right. And so it's like, oh, my kids won't understand. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Um, And then piggybacking... Snap out of it, man! Yeah. Piggybacking off of that, the... um, I, I, I read an article by a person who was like, there was, so there's an article posted a little while ago, basically talking about like, yeah, children should not be in church. Like they're super distracting, like all this stuff. And it was very, very negative towards children what? in general. It like a, yes, yeah, it was, it was, it was the gospel coalition too. Um, it was just uh. it was real bad. Someone did a response article to it and I, and I read it and the, this was, um, um, what's his face? Mark Dever. No. Uh, Peter, no, 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 no. Our like the person we know that goes to the Ligonier. Peter Birdsall. Peter Birdsall. Yes, thank you. Peter, he didn't write the article, but he he shared the article. I don't remember who the actual author was. We shared the the article about this, uh, and then like a response article to uh, where a guy was talking about like preaching to a church that like has the children there all the time. And, he, and one of the things he said, and I thought this was really interesting. He's like, you know, the common argument i look here all the time is how can kids even understand what's going on and he said it is one of the the most satisfying and uh, not satisfying uh the most like edifying and like challenging parts of preaching to this church that i try to make sure that everyone in the congregation understands mm-hmm. it Yes. And but that it's yeah. being faithful to the biblical message, right? That I am not yeah. getting it, it helps me to not get super, super highfalutin with my theological language and to have mm-hmm. to figure out how to explain this to everyone. And that has been helpful mm-hmm. so much to my congregation. Yeah. That's what he said. And I was like, yes, yep. there you go. <laughs> that 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 works. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah, uh, that that helps me as well. Uh, uh, especially preaching at kids camp is every single time I'm like, okay, I got to go back to the basics. And then I get to a point where I'm just like, oh, 
this actually just makes more sense period yeah to explain <laughs> why don't i normally explain things yeah, like that yeah. yep yeah very true honestly the best practice for preaching the gospel is preaching the gospel to a kid <laughs> and then he'd be like what the heck does that mean and you're like i don't know <laughs> i honestly don't know i don't yeah. even know why i'm talking about again. that yeah yep any other thoughts on that just trying to run out of time here very quickly. let the children come to me yeah <laughs> um separation from the ways of the world is the fifth um, one on here yeah so I say we end with this point and then pick this up next week for the last five points. Are the last five points things that will that we we also think uh, we should talk about? Yes. Or <laughs> yep. okay, they're all really <laughs> yep. all really good. Honestly, long... that might be a good idea to, to put this and make this into two parts. Yeah, um, yeah. I think we can we can talk about five real quick and then uh, yeah, or maybe we could I mean, we could just end here and then go through the next what's this what's the next point so the next point is separation from the ways of the world so it's the way it's written is this does not mean separation from the world for we would have to be taken out of the world but separation from the ways ideologies and practices of the world that are contrary to god and his word in other words yeah, let's talk exists, about that next week there exists a concern for continual holiness, holiness and righteousness yeah so yeah. that that's a little sneak peek for what we'll talk about next week honestly this was a great conversation though about like all this stuff and there's a lot of things to say about it um so uh Oh, except I, I told Maddie that we would talk about Harry Potter next week. Mm, I don't know. And I keep pushing that off. Well, so, I mean, we could come back to this. Yeah, we could do Harry Potter next week and then come back to us mm -hmm. the week after. Let's do that. Um, okay. Yes. So, spoiler, next week we're going to talk about Harry Potter. Um, because a friend of ours really wants to talk about Harry Potter on the podcast and we wanted to yeah. do more interviews anyway. So, uh, yeah. obviously we're going to do this. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about, I mean, we're going to go back to our normal, uh, shtick of talking about art and Christianity and stuff. And so we're going to talk about Harry Potter, um, next week with our good friend, Maddie. Um, what were you going to say, Connor? Nothing. I just said, yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so we'll we'll pick back up next week with uh, talking about separation from the ways of the world, and then there's other points on here. Do you want me to list off the points that we're going to talk about? Yes. Next time, okay. Build that hype. Uh, yeah. Um. Next is the centrality of preaching, or, or sorry, actually the next one is plurality of elders, um, mm. and then centrality of preaching, devotion to prayer, fasting, and evangelism slash missions. So those are all the things we're going to talk about. Yeah, those, hype, those, hype, lots hype, of hype. interesting things to talk about, <laughs> and I'm sure we have lots of things to say. Um, Carly, do you have any other last thoughts as we kind of wrap up here? Um, I mean, I started going to a new church recently, mm -hmm. and I'm so happy just whenever I get to be there because it's amazing, and I think it it exemplifies a lot most of what a church should look like from the Bible. So makes me very happy to be there and with a bunch of christians and yeah makes my heart happy <laughs> so being in church is important being in a biblically modeled church is extremely important mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if your church isn't biblically modeled make it that way like yeah start start, <laughs> start praying first yep. um start talking to people in your church particularly your elders um, yes. And yes. Don't, start. Don't, don't just gossip. With, you know. Don't yeah. start with the congregation. Start with the elders. Yeah, and then yeah, have a conversation about these things, right? Like point them to scripture. Um, I'll link the article that we're going through. Um, uh, 
the little blog post here um, in the liner notes so you can take a look at all the scripture yourself and uh, get a firm understanding of what's going on here. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with uh, Harry Potter. And then the week after that, we'll come back with uh, more Reformed Baptist ecclesiology. <laughs> <laughs> Guess Correction, that. more biblical ecclesiology. Oh, <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Um, this has been The Christian Artist. Uh, you can find us at Twitter, on Twitter, at Christ underscore art underscore show, at Facebook, at facebook.com slash Christian Artist Show, and at our website at ChristianArtistShow.com. If you're sticking around for other things on this channel, Caleb and Powers on Twitch, um, we're having our one-year anniversary of Terranolius um, this Thursday. Um, it will <laughs> nice. be a year since we started the campaign. Um, Happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really exciting. It will be really cool. I have some fun things planned. We're going to do a six-hour session instead of a four-hour session. Oh, um, dang. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. Um, and uh, so we're doing that. And then we're having another episode of Anno Domini this Friday. Woo! I need to clarify with everyone that we're actually doing that. I need to write, write it on there. And I am our, good to go. On our message thread. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, they're going to do that. So we got some more D&D &D this, uh, this week. Um, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll be back next week with more um, uh, Christian Artist talking about Harry Potter. Alrighty, I think that's it from us here at the Christian Artist. This has been episode 124, The Christian and Ecclesiology, part one. And uh, I think that's it. Got any last words, guys? Nope. It is finished. <laughs> to tell us that. <laughs> sure. Yep, there you go. All right. <laughs> Adios. Bye.